This podcast is brought to you by flix.com.au, Australia's number one movie and cinema site. Welcome to The Take. I'm your host, Blake Howard. This is a show where we go all over your stream and screen and we get the sharpest crew of film minds together to talk about what's happening. What are the big topics in movies? And one of the biggest topics in Australia this week is the Australian zombie. And I am with none other than just an all-around wonderful filmmaker. He has made, you know, he's an actor. You would have heard his name before. He's uh, a satirist. He made arguably one of the darkest, blackest, but scintillating comedies called Down Under, and you cannot freaking find the thing anywhere overseas. He, um, he's in a, on another podcast. He told me that people should just illegally download it to see the mm-hmm. thing. I actually own a copy, um, so I'm, I'm, I'm set, and you guys can find it at JB Hi-Fi on a local DVD. But his latest film is The Lupita Nyong'o. This is the second, second horror movie this year. Uh, Lupita Nyong'o's Little Monsters. I have director and writer of Little Monsters. Next stop, Pleasant Valley. Oh, Teddy. Hi. We're having a super fun time on our trip. I want you all in the line in front of me and the way we go. Why are we stopping? There must be something in the way. What is it, Miss Caroline? Ah! Oh, God. Stop the trap! Are you okay? Abe Forsyth. Abe. Welcome to The Take, my friend. Thank you so much for being part of the show. Thank you for having me. Always lovely to speak to you. Oh, always good to talk to you. Look, and before we dive into all the things, uh, I suppose, that have been some of the big topics of conversation, the Australian zombie, Australian genre films, just want to sing your praises that this film, if you haven't heard of Little Monsters and and you're just listening to this before you go out, we won't go too spoiler heavy on, on everything that happens, but I think if you've seen by the trailer, is basically a story about a school excursion uh, off to a little lovely farm that kind of goes wrong when an American military facility um, just so happens to break out some, you know, undead creatures and they infect everyone who is visiting this farm except for a very, very cute a group of school children who are there to visit um, one of their uh, TV iconic child heroes and uh, and one of the chaperones who's the main character of the movie uh, and one of the young kids' uncles have to basically work out what they're going to do to survive their own mini zombie apocalypse. And I can say, as a especially as a new parent, um, it has all of the... Uh, it has all of the stored up cynicism and anger of a brand new parent <laughs> uh, with <laughs> anger with uh, relating to other people's uh, families, other your, your kids' friends' families to uh, everything to do with, uh, you know, the hate that you sort of harbor in your heart when you're watching kids' shows that you don't want to watch when you'd rather be watching things like Down Under or Heat or any of the other things that are way too violent for your children. Um, but I, I just had such a good time and I think all of your performers are so game. Lapita is just sunshine and rainbows. Uh, and conversely, Josh Gad, I think, is just having the best time I think I've seen him ever have being as disgusting as any man could be on screen. Um, it's a real ripper, Abe. Congratulations <laughs> on the movie. Thank you. Look, thank you. It's um, it, it was obviously, you know, making a movie with 11 
five-year-old children a horror movie <laughs> with you know the, the themes and and what this movie is about um and you know this movie is about the, the dichotomy between um the way a child sees the world and the way uh, adults sort of see and and interact with the world and it was it was always about showing those two extremes because it wasn't until i was a parent myself that i suddenly went there's so much that my son is teaching me about the world and yes. it's totally reframing my perception on on everything and where we're at and and then it's making me all the more worried and troubled about where we're heading so this movie is meant to be a uh, a reminder of of you know maybe just play the ukulele and sing some <laughs> songs and and marvel at, at, the, at the beauty of the world instead of just you know everything else which is maybe why we're in the state that we're in right now internationally <laughs> yeah look i there's there are some sort of and and I don't want to I don't want to spoil too much because I'm, I'm mindful that people this week are going to be seeing it in Australian cinemas, but I I think you've just laced it with that perfect amount of, um it's that's I don't know if that was a, there's definitely a fear for me is I genuinely was like I don't know if I can be I don't know if they can let me take this kid home from the hospital. Like, am I okay? (laughs) Am I okay to do this? And so it's like your inner, your inner BS that you've had for a long time as like a sort of, you know, this perennial arrested development we have in our, in our sort of combined gen. It's like, as soon as you have a kid that there's a switch that happens in your brain and, and exactly some of those things come in. So in the most, you know, gratuitously, uh, grotesque, um, um, and I think, and, and, uh, potty mouth way, I think that little monsters really taps into that. And I think the, the great genre movies use these fun, um, uh, things packaged up, which is, I guess a great segue to talk about like little monsters, Australian zombies is, is the population is the is our complicated relationships with America? Is that a nice way to say that there is a bit of zombification going on? Is it cultural imperialism? What what is an Australian zombie to you, Abe? Well, so look, I never. It's a funny thing, actually. I never intended to make uh, a zombie movie. It wasn't like on my bucket list of like. Even <laughs> though I'm, I'm a big fan of certain zombie movies, um, and and Peter Jackson's Brain Dead in particular oh for me was a, it was an incredibly seminal movie for me. Well, I saw it when I was twelve years old, and 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 Peter Jackson, um, uh, you know, specifically the the movies he made um, uh, pre Lord of the Rings, which were huge influences on me. Peter Jackson was the the, the filmmaker that made me want to be a filmmaker. Um, uh, so while I had a love of certain types of zombie movies. I, yeah, it was never one of those things that I just, I, I saw myself ever doing. And it was, um, you know, I was on a school excursion with my son and his kindergarten class and his kindergarten teacher uh, in his first year of school. And we went to the petting zoo, which we filmed a lot of this movie at. Yes. And it was just one of those random ideas that came into my head, which was, um, what if, what if that was a zombie over there? And then it was how, oh, okay, how would you protect how would you protect these children from, from a zombie apocalypse? Yes. And, and it was just one of those ideas that kept extrapolating um, uh, to the point where, you know, I was just putting in all of, all of this stuff that my son, as I mentioned before, had taught me since he came along. Um, and everything you talked about before as well, too. I mean, I very specifically remember my son was five weeks premature and it was, a, it was quite, a, um, uh, it was quite a, a, a difficult and kind of uh, sort of shocking kind of experience to have him sort of come into the world uh, very unexpectedly and very early. Yes. And, but I do very distinctly remember 
a point where I saw him for the first time and he was sort of like, you know, struggling for air, but he was, you know, making noises and he was there, that it, it, exactly what you talked about, there was a switch. Yeah. And and it, all the bullshit that, that had been going on in my head uh, up until that point, um, uh, pre-knowing that I was going to be a father, but then all through the pregnancy, then everything, I just, I, I really vividly remember that moment going, oh, okay, this is, Everything. This is what matters now. This is this is my life is now in service of this. And ever since that moment, he has and continues to. He's now eight years old. Um, just just sort of teach me everything and kind of fuels me and now fuels my my work as well too because he's actually given me something to say. Yeah. <laughs> um, so so but then so a long winded way of saying zombies um, were it was actually a really convenient thing for me to bring into the movie because the great thing about zombies is we've reached saturation point i feel like you know with them in our culture and a lot of that i think to do very specifically is with the walking dead being so sort of you know huge and kind of like known worldwide omnipresent popular and with a tv series unlike a film like unlike the seminal you know romero films they they sort of they gave some they allowed some airtime but when you've got like Fear the Walking Dead, and then the Walking Dead, and then maybe some other sequel series. You're getting like eight to ten to twelve episodes of this thing a season, and they're like hour long, and it just occupies just months of your life. Like it's there, yeah. and it exists, and, it, and, it, and so because because they've just been, they have been so prevalent uh, over the last sort of however long Walking Dead's been on air. But you know, then you know, there's obviously movies like Zombieland, and I mean, yes. Shaun of the Dead too. It's obviously a seminal sort of zombie comedy. Um, the, the, the first Zomrom-com. The first yeah, Zomrom-com. Um, but, you know, we don't need to – I didn't need to explain zombies. I didn't need to explain yes. – the only thing you need to explain is are they fast or are they slow. That's all the information you need at this point. So everything else is just kind of um, – uh, and look, and, and the thing to – I mean, the reason I chose slow zombies is – there's something inherently just ridiculous about a slow zombie. <laughs> but at the same time, they can be terrifying as well, too. And for me, that was like, well, that's life. Life is is both sort of, you know, ridiculous and it's terrifying. Yes. So so the great thing is, is like a zombie can be a metaphor for whatever you want it to be. I mean, for me, they're in, in Little Monsters, they're metaphors for, for, for something in particular. But part of the joy of of showing this movie is the way people – you know, this movie is about the the way, like I said, the way a child sees the world, and 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 the zombies represent the horrors of the world, and and however you want to imagine those horrors are, they are represented by the zombies. And also, the the I think the slow horde is that it it is the it is the focused mirror approach, like a zombie as a as a fast zombie that happened with the crazies, and then you know was kind of. Crazy oh, yeah. was a cult film, so people were like, "Oh, you know, they forgot about it for things like Twenty Eight Days Later, which then re-sped up the zombie." A zombie as a like a fast zombie for me has always been something that is, um, that's more like a monster movie than a zombie zombie movie. I know that might sound like yeah. a bit like sacrilegious, but it's like it's a it's a terrifying beast, like shrieking, yeah. fast, scary. Whereas the horde, yeah, yeah. the horde is cool because of you know because of the the agony of them just being there like yeah, it's exactly. just and and uh, i love in this it's kind of you know uh, it's the the petting zoo dawn of the dead you know the dawn of the dead was a shopping center yeah, yeah, yeah. it's got those elements is when the hordes out there and i love in your <laughs> i love in uh, i love in little monsters that you know they're just sort of hanging around and when there's that you know not uh, something stimulating them to make them really fire up they kind of just hang about 
there is just something so like scary about something just never going away. Yeah. And then you yeah, can yeah. really ruminate, right, on exactly what yeah, you said. Yeah, it's totally. like that, that there's these are the metaphors we're gonna get and and then watching people go stir crazy with their own, you know, potential isolation um is 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 well, all the more fun. Know, but it's not something I'd, I'd realised until recently. Um, I, I watched, I, I would have seen Dawn of the Dead before I was 10, probably would have been around nine or yes. my Sunday now, eight, when I saw it for the first time. And and I remember that very vividly, that line, because the great thing about watching that movie as a child too is you have that that association by going, oh, wouldn't it be fun to be in a shopping center? Wouldn't 100%. it be fun to be in a shopping center? So, a huge so you, part of it. A huge part so of it. So you just so you're enjoying the movie just based on that sort of that element. But I do remember that line that one of the characters has in that when they're on the roof looking at all of them outside the shopping center and going, they're coming I can't remember exactly what the line is, but it's like, but they're coming here because they remember. They remember you know, they're, they're, yes. they're, they're, this is something that they used to do. This is something that they used to want. And that was the probably one of the first um, instances of seeing a filmmaker use satire in a way, which which I think had a really profound in, impact on me. I mean, like, so, and, you know, that's the fucking, that's just the, you know, the, the beauty of them as a vessel for just being able to do whatever you want in your own particular way. And we, without giving anything away, we do something with zombies at, in the, at the very end of this movie, which, because um, I, I wanted to, I, if we were going to do a zombie movie, I was like, I, we have to do something that I haven't seen in a zombie movie before. So we do do something that hasn't been done before. And, it and, was also, and let me tell you, it's something. It is, <laughs> it's something. It's, but it, was, it was also really important for me too to go, if I'm going to do that, it has to have a reason. It can't just be a stunt. It has to actually have a thematic reason. Yes. And, and, yeah, and, you know, there is a point where one of the characters right at the end of the movie says to the American military, all I'm not going to say what it is because I don't want to give it away, but all you have to do is this, and then you, you can we can be friends with them, we can work out how to live with them. But the reality is when the American military is there and there's guns there, they're always going to do what the American military do in those sorts of situations. So, yes. so, but once you have that information about the zombies at the end of Little Monsters, if you go back and watch it again, you'll see, you'll see them anytime there is something Happening. And I would, I would, I would just say you didn't, you didn't just bury the lead on it. Um, I've, I've, I'm lucky enough to see little, little monsters as we're talking a couple of times, and, uh, and definitely in my second viewing, it was layered more in, and I got to notice those things nicely being yeah. sort of planted. But what I was doing, uh, a, a second part of the reason why I was watching Little Monsters for a second time, hopefully before I was talking to you, I was desperately keeping my eyes peeled for one frequent guest and very good friend of mine. Maria Lewis, who was a oh, yeah. zombie in yeah, Little Monsters. Yeah, yeah. And I was looking for her. My eyes were peeled because a long time ago I said to Abe and anyone who's listened to my One Hit Minute podcast, I don't even know if I said it on the show, but I said I was this close to being a, a zombie in Little Monsters. And I said, why? What happened? And at the time, this is when I you know, told him that I had, you know, I just had my little one and I couldn't get out of there to, to get there. But, uh, but I, I was look, keeping my eyes peeled and I did not see the infamous purple haired zombie or her hair was probably, uh, covered in blood. So next time I check it out, I'll have to, uh, I'll keep my eyes We're peeled. We're doing a screening tomorrow, literally tomorrow night. Um, for we've hired out two cinemas at uh, Hoyt's Broadway and we're doing a screening for the zombie extras. So, um, and it's not, I mean, I'm, I'm not all of 
them can make it. But it was, we had like 900 <laughs> zombie extras in, in, in the, the, the making of this movie, and they're all incredible. And it's like, and that's look. To be honest, too, we made this movie on a on a really low budget. Like, like the, um, without saying what it what it is, it we needed a lot more. And the and the only reason that we were able to, to sort of do it, I mean, you know, people like Lupita and Josh. We're working on it for you know like equity minimum. They, yeah. they, no one was no one was making this movie to to get rich. We were all <laughs> making this movie because we believed in it, and and I had the the sort of uh, the benefit of just having a whole bunch of people on the crew connect with what this movie is about and what this movie says. But then we also had the benefit of so many people like Maria too that were just and yourself that were like. Oh, I just want to be in a zombie movie and it's oh. a slow moving zombie movie. And it was like, you can come, you can come on set, you get made up by the Oscar winning uh, effect <laughs> team that won the Oscar for Fury Road and did Alien Covenant. You know, you'll, you'll, you'll have all this makeup put on and you'll get to enjoy. We had extras. We had a couple of days where we, we had paid extras. Yes. And the paid extras were terrible because it was <laughs> like you had to, you had to like really show them how to move like a zombie. All of the all of the extras that came in and just like had fun Volunteer, with us, yes. you know, at a day of time, you would say slow zombies straight away. They would know exactly what oh, to do. So it's it's and and like it's it's the role I've been waiting for my whole life is probably what Maria would tell you. I think I think Maria said to me, Blake, there's two things on my bucket list. One of them is to be a zombie, and one of the, them is to be a cadaver in a morgue in a, like a serial killer movie. <laughs> and so she's ticked <laughs> one item off her bucket list and has many more years to be the cadaver on a table in some morgue uh, in some other movie. Um, but yeah. oh, you know, it's it's a it's a deep regret, but nonetheless. And incorrect, you know, slow, slow zombies, a lot of fun, a lot of fun for that movie. So we're about to see it out in Oz now, you know, you and I talked about it pretty much. You'd, you'd, you'd wrapped it. The last time that we spoke was just about yeah. to start doing the festival rounds in the States, you know, yeah. and we, we I, I, I topped the show with talking about down under, which I got to see at city film festival. It shook the audience there. It was expecting Personally, uh, uh, you know, it was very well received from that audience and definitely would have been something that sort of hit the spark. Have you seen a difference this time around going to the States with Monsters and the response? Because, you know, you know, n- not to put too fine a point on it, it's had a very, very good critical response. I think it's in the high, high 80s with a couple, you know, 100 reviews in, in Rotten Tomatoes. It's about to be, you know, much wider seen on Hulu in the United States. Yeah. How's that experience been for you comparatively this time? Well, I mean, Down Under was uh, always going to be a difficult sell overseas. And, and yes. I didn't make that movie for an overseas audience. I, I made that movie for us as, yes. as a nation to, to watch. And and um, and it was a very difficult experience making and releasing that movie. I'm very, very proud of that movie. And it, you should it did everything cre- creatively that I wanted it to. And it also led to Little Monsters actually happening as well um but um my one sort of major takeout from releasing uh down under was okay it's so difficult to make a movie for australia Uh, and granted and uh, down under is a movie that holds up a very difficult mirror to an australian audience deliberately so yes um, so I, you know, I, I'm, I'm not an idiot. I did realize I was putting something out there that was going to be difficult, and that was the point. Um, but I had the experience of going, okay, well, I, it's so hard to get an Australian audience into a cinema to see an Australian movie. 
I'm going to make a movie now and make it for an American audience. And if I make a play for an American audience, I've probably got a better chance of making a movie, that movie, then play for an Australian audience. So that was my, that was my theory. That's, that's, that's what I sort of, you know, went into. Hey, someone um, said, someone's seeing it. Pretty good theory. You got Lupita freaking young. <laughs> well, yeah, you got an Oscar winner. Who's basically your lead of the movie or at least co-lead. Yeah. And you got yeah, Josh yeah. Gad who, you know, has a lot of folks will know maybe bits and pieces. Maybe if you're listening to the take, you would know this, but Josh Gad, although he studied in Australia and has a deep connection with the country, is like now one of the biggest stars in the world, you know, Book of Mormon, you might've heard of it, Frozen. He's he's yeah, in he's, he's in my head from my daughter watching Frozen this many times, you know, and, and him singing all the songs like, um, and obviously Beauty and the Beast, all massive movies. Like these are big yeah, yeah. stars. But the and but the thing with the two of them in you know, Lupita and Josh in their in their own ways they're they're actors that like to be challenged of you know course. they're they're not actors that, that play it safe and and they also need to believe in the material that they're doing and they're both really connected to these characters for very different reasons but also you know to to what this movie said about uh, things that are universal that um, and so. So look, in, there's, you know, a, there's, the, a, there's a monologue, sorry to, to go at rescue. Mm. There's a monologue that Josh Gad says in this movie and I knew that he'd been denied her. And there's a monologue that he says in this movie and I was dying laughing about 10 times harder because I knew Josh Gad had been in Oz and had done this and was saying these things. And I think that I know that you wrote it to be very specifically sort of funny, but I think that there's just some, there is an alchemy that both you and I recognize when there's just some personal flavor that someone is adding there's like oh, a yeah. secret ingredient of they're just completely bringing another level of how to make something funny or how to make a line poignant and i was just going you couldn't oh, have imagined how good that was going to play until he's doing it in front of you and you're like oh there's something magic here happening along but the also way. and but also i mean the, just to, 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 on josh for a second the beauty of josh being olaf and frozen and beauty and the beast and very much in the disney fold now um but he is also he is also the person that spent five years on broadway working for trey parker and matt stone so he's got a very subversive streak to him so there's two very different sides of his personality as a as a performer which he does equally as 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 the other equally well as the other um but that's why he was always going to be the ultimate person for this role because when he shows up in the movie for the first time as the kid the world's most famous uh, children's entertainer He's believable as that person. So then when he makes the switch into exactly the opposite of that, that, it's so much more shocking because you've seen him actually be really genuine. And the great thing about Josh as an actor, and obviously the Peter too, is that they, they always play whatever they're playing, uh, whether it's comedically or dramatically, they play it from a truthful place. Yes. So it's like, and that, that was really important to me with everyone in this movie that, that it's not just gags. There's, there's, there's a reason for the gags and the gags are making a, a, either a sort of comment on a character or about the state of the world. So, um, so look, it was, it was, we made this to, to be very blunt about it. I made it for America. I made it for an American audience. Yes. I edited this movie. Uh, the, for the majority of this movie was edited in America. I had an Australian editor and an American editor on this movie to sort of help us sort of get it into the right into the right sort of uh, 
into a narrative of which an American audience is accustomed. But I also approached the writing of the script in that way too. My my script editor, who I sort of now work with on other things, is you know comes from sort of a, a, a story editing sort of background in America as well too. So it's like me going, okay, I'm playing. I need to play by certain rules, and also. The aesthetic of this movie, with everyone that worked on this movie, all through the crew uh, and the cast, I said to every single one of them, you have to imagine the Universal logo before this movie. Yes. We have to make it feel like a big budget studio movie. And if we make it feel like it's that, then we can have fun subverting it in ways that you wouldn't ordinarily see a big budget studio movie doing. So so that was the ethos behind um the entire sort of uh, me writing it to the shooting of it, to the cutting of it. And, you know, we did a test screening in America right before we locked off the cut. We've been editing for about six months and we did this test screening in Long Beach in California in front of 300 suburban Americans that oh. knew nothing about them other than Lapita and Josh were in it. And it went through the roof. Like it, we finally, we finally got it working and got it right. It took a long time to get the balance right. But when we had this test screening work, I breathed a sigh of relief because I knew from going on from that point, there's still a chance that the movie won't find an audience and won't connect, but at least I know that I made it work. Yes. Like, and, and that audience that doesn't know me from a bar of soap or, or, or anything other than, you know, those two actors in the movie, they had no reason to go with the movie other than if they just bought it and loved it. And, and they did. So, so then since then, you know, we, you know, obviously we were in Sundance, um, uh, and that we had the kind of fairy tale Sundance experience. Yeah, great there. response, mate. You've had a, it, it's, it's, it, it's a terrific, you know, as a, as, as now a friend who's been watching you from the other side of the world, like hearing about this thing being made, getting excited about it, hearing about it in like in, in its actual production stage, because I was nearly a zombie in it and then watching <laughs> the responses in the international circuit. It's just like. It's had a it's had a wonderful a wonderful international response. Like if if you oh, if, it, has, if, if yeah. it just means that Abe Forsyth keeps to get working, then uh, we at the take and me Blake are very very happy that that's the case. Well, look, and it was to me it was I was just so when we had the reaction we got in Sundance, I was just relieved more than yeah. anything. You know, I, I, I was I you know having especially having had the down under experience, I was just like, oh thank God, at least people are. People are just, they're enjoying it and they're enjoying it because it's connecting in the way I intended it to connect with, yes. with audiences. And then similarly, we have South by Southwest, which went through the roof. Yeah, there. that was a really um, big one. Yeah, actually. Yeah, and that was and that was the uh, and that but that's that your point. audience. Sundance is a more eclectic film audience for exactly. folks. If, you, if you're looking at Sundance, is like the premier independent film festival in the United States, and so when things play there, you know the biggest dramas, some of the biggest dramas a year, some of the biggest, um, you know, independent sort of like rom coms or comedies or just you know bursting right. onto the scene, avant garde, whatever. But South by Southwest is a is a party. It's, it's just a party. Yeah, totally, it's and, a party. And often, Austin is seriously, I think it's my favorite city in the world. So, and similarly, we had Down Under play at a Fantastic Fest in in uh, Austin in 2016, and that was a really special experience as well. That is where you really just get to enjoy being with the crowd yes. and, and sharing the experience. And look, you know, so it's 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 since you know we've pretty much sold every territory around the world now, and it's it's starting to be sort of so it's been released in a lot of areas. Uh, we've sold every pretty much every territory around the world. Uh, you know, there's a there's a great release coming up in two weeks in the UK, which I'm really excited about. 
you know, we chose to do the um, streaming sort of sale in, in the States for a number of reasons. And it's, it's just come out on Hulu in the last couple of weeks in America. And it's an incredible experience that I'm having now, having so many, so many people now watching, watching a movie that I've made. And, and um, on socials, like that's, that's one thing I've spoken to a couple of other filmmakers about is like something goes on a Netflix or something goes on a Hulu and the people just tweeting about it or Facebooking about it. It's like the response can just be sometimes even more overwhelming than it goes to a cinema because there are all these just people at home that are like watching it and then rewatching it and then just going. Exactly. And, and it's, a, it's, a, it's almost, I, I'm just comparing it to, you know, my teens working in a video store yes. and all I did was watch movies and I would discover movies. And there's a big difference between discovering a movie or there was for me in the video store, then, you know, going out and seeing something day and date when, you know, it, it comes out in the cinema. Um, and, and I think it has, what I'm noticing is it has that little, there's so many people that are seeing about it and commenting on it. It had, it, they're, they're going, where the fuck did this movie come from? <laughs> there are other people that know it and have been tracking it and been wanting to see it, but then there are ones that it just, just arrived and they have, so it's, it's actually really, it's a very different experience, but, but I'm really enjoying it. And, you know, and I'm glad ultimately that we did sort of make the choice to go with Hulu as well too, because they've done a really good job of positioning it over there too and kind of making people aware of it. So, but it's, um, but it's, uh, so now, you know, but now I'm back in Australia. So I've shown, I've traveled with this movie to um, all through the United States. Um, to the UK it's at the BFI London Film Festival. I've seen, I've shown this movie in Hong Kong um, as well too, which was fucking incredible. I had no idea how that was going to go, but it was one of the most special nights of my life showing the movie over there. Um, so I've had the benefit now of seeing this movie play in all different countries in front of all different cultures. We had a great um, couple of screenings in at, at MIFF in, in Melbourne as well too, yeah. which was fantastic to, to kind of go, oh cool, it does play with an Australian audience. But I've been traveling with this movie for almost a year now. I mean, with the first screening was in January and, you know, we're nearly at Christmas. So it's a very strange thing to now be kind of here and it's, it, it's coming to an end because, to be honest, I, you know, when I left this last trip um, and having shown it in London and, and New York and L.A., I was kind of like, I'm, I was, I'm, I'm kind of done. I'm kind of done now with this movie, <laughs> like, revealing itself to me. And now I'm back in Australia and I'm going, oh, and here I go, I'm going to do the Australian cinema release again. And I know what that's like. <laughs> and, and it's going to be, it's going to be a little bit different to Down Under, but it's also not going to be different. And it's, 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 it's kind of ending, ending on a bit of a downer for me, unfortunately. And it's, um, you know, and I want to, I want to be here and, and I, and I'm very, I am very grateful and positive about the experience of having made this movie. I've had such great support from, um, all the people that worked on this movie, but also from Screen Australia, um, Create New South Wales, uh, you know, our investors of this movie, and similarly with Down Under as well too. I am someone that has benefited hugely from uh, the things that we have in place to help Australians make Australian stories. So I, everything that I, that I that I say about my disappointment with <laughs> releasing a movie in Australia has nothing to do with everything that's great about making movies in, in Australia. Uh, the powers that be decided that it wasn't worth throwing. If you want to, if you want to release a movie in the market today, you have to throw millions behind it in yeah. terms of getting the advertising out there. 
So, and now with, uh, you know, and I think a lot of this has to do with, with um, streaming and what's going on with Netflix at the moment as well to, you know, putting movies in certain cinemas for, you know, very short periods of time, but, but also exhibitors um, uh, really refusing to sort of play ball and show those movies as well too. Mm. We, we, I look, Little Monsters for, for everything that I just mentioned, kind of, we had the powers that be decide not to put millions behind us <laughs> yes. because we're not top end wedding. We're not ride like a girl. We're not that type. We're not red dog. We're not that type of Australian movie, which is red I'm dog could have benefited. Red dog could have benefited from zombies. <laughs> if the zombie outbreak took out every fucking person in red dog, it would be but a better like- Australian film industry. If, you had me to yeah, be asking that question. I'm not, I'm not going to make any. I'm not going to. I'm not going to. I'm not going to. I'm not going to actually criticize those movies because they're just not movies for me. They're not yeah. movies that, that, that I. I yeah, look, they're huge, populous, fair. They're they can be family, you know, family orientated. People yeah. are going to see them. Yeah. And look, there's a there's a great space for Top End Wedding. I think Top End Wedding is uh, you know a really terrific entry in in the rom com space outside of those other two. But um, you know, they're, but it's a, but they're very. They, they're, they they play they play to they're very four quadrant movies they play to everyone yep. they're not they're not offensive little monsters I'm not like even <laughs> though I you know made something that you know I tried to make something for the American market and tried to make something that is a feel good movie it's got some fucking wrong stuff in there <laughs> and that's the point you can't have you can't have the for me you can't have the feel good if you also can't equally show the feel bad and the really wrong yeah, stuff. That's and, and love talking to you now to, to hear as soon as, and I hadn't, I, I, I didn't know that about you. I didn't know that PJ Peter Jackson was a huge influence, but right. I, but, right. but when I was watching it, those big, you know, burly grotesque moments, that's just, that's brained it all over. That's such a, that's a, but you know, but the why why I love Peter Jackson as a filmmaker and why he was so influential for me was you know I was it was Bad Taste, Meet the Feebles, and Brain Dead that that yes. made me obsessed with him. But then I saw what he did with Heavenly Creatures, and Heavenly Creatures was like holy fuck, he made a really beautiful, amazing, very dark, but but movie that is actually much more of a reflection on the horrors of the world. Yes. And and for me, Little Monsters is and and Down Under too. It's, it's I'm trying to do all that wrapped up in their own in sort one. of self contained Story. Yes. Yeah. So, and and I do recognise that um, uh, you know putting a lot, you know, putting millions behind a movie, uh, although a movie with bankable names um, that has played at film festivals, that has fucking certified fresh on you know rotten tomatoes, <laughs> all the things that you're meant to have in order to be able to put a movie out into the market. I do recognise that it's also still got some challenging aspects of it which is the intention of it but at the same time i'm very disappointed because little monsters is exactly the type of movie that i want to go to the movies to see and that's why we designed it you know for an for an audience and for the theatrical experience and i was hoping that it would be something that we would be able to celebrate making something made by australians utilizing certain international elements to help it kind of sell and to sort of play. But I was hoping it would be one of those movies that could be celebrated a little bit. Turns out it's not going to be one of those movies, <laughs> at least now, at least in the next week when we get released in 30 screens and the majority of those screens for one night only. Um, it's, 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 yeah, it's really, it's, it's really disappointing. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm having, 
look, uh, the good thing is, is I'm, I'm getting to make another movie because of this movie and, 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 and I've got more work lined up and that's, that's all I ever wanted was just to be able to keep making movies and keep telling stories. So I, I, it, it, I can sound like I'm, I don't, I don't want it to sound like I'm complaining because I'm not, I'm just a little bit disappointed. Look, I, I think, I think you can qualify that as being disappointed and, I, and, 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 and not, it's not a, it's not a bitch. It doesn't sound like it because, you know, you've clearly had that success. I guess, you know, for me personally, it's the same, I think with you. And I think this is where the streaming slash cinematic coexistence you know, is going to have to happen sooner rather than later, which is that, yeah. you know. But this is the thing. I mean, this is the thing with Marvel as well. So I'm, I'm in Vakada. I don't really watch the, the Marvel movies. I have seen a few of them. But, you know, like I said, I've got an eight-year-old child and I'm trying to um, I'm trying to raise him in a way where he is challenged in a good way by movies. And, yes. and that they're just not wallpaper that you have on and yes. or that, you know, you have on while you're, you know, interacting with your phone or not. Like I'm trying to raise him in a way where um, he respects the, the experience of going to watch a movie or pulling a DVD off the shelf. And you have that DVD on the shelf for a reason because it's, it's an important thing to have. <laughs> and you're going to not only watch it, but you're going to revisit it at different times in your life. And, and I just had that experience with him recently. I showed him, we did a double bill um, over two nights. You're doing, first, you're doing really good month. work. You're really doing some good dad work with a double bill. Well, we, I'm excited. We, we, we did Groundhog Day. Oh, my God. Um, and so he's eight. He, he, <laughs> he had no idea what it was about. And I, for the first time, I didn't let him know what it was about. I just told him, because he was like, why, we, why, do we, why do we have to watch this? And I was like, it's just, it's a really important movie. Why is it an important movie? Oh, because it's just, there's something that happens in the story, which, you, which you'll see is really, is really interesting. Why, why, what is it? I'm not going to tell you. you just got to watch it. And me being able to experience Groundhog Day for the first time again <laughs> through my son's eyes. Yes. But also me being able to now watch it as I'm nearly 40. I'm two years from being 40. And now I'm like going, I'm just the, just the profoundness of mortality of that movie. <laughs> Watching it with my own son is just like, I, I was just wrecked by it. But then he was quoting that the when Ned Ryerson gets punched in the face. He was quoting that for days. <laughs> so, but, you know, we have a conversation about it. We talk about it for days afterwards. The next night, we watched um, Edge of Tomorrow. Like as a, like it's yes. like oh, okay we're just gonna watch this and it's like it's because I'm like it's like Groundhog Day, but it's like started as like this isn't like Groundhog Day and then when it when all of the stuff started happening you know he, he got it and it was like so again trying to open up his world where you can see different filmmakers different genres using a device in a way which you know in in their own ways like look there's just so much great fucking stuff out there to be able to 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 revisit or view for the first time, no matter what age you are. The danger with what's happening, I think, is that movies are becoming spectacle and nothing else. They're becoming empty vessels. Yes. And, and, and now, you know, exhibitors, and I understand why, need those things, those big fucking noisy movies to get people in to see them. But they're not movies that are going to nourish you or challenge you or like uh, I loved Once Upon a Time in Hollywood this year. I saw that twice at the movies. Yeah, and, same. And and I you know I, I was there were some elements in the first viewing that I actually wasn't sure about when I watched it for the first time. But I was like, no, I have to see it again. And on the second viewing, they all went out the window, and I took my dad to see it on the second viewing. 
And I remember talking about it with my father afterwards. Um, and I, I haven't been personally the biggest fan of everything Quentin's done over the last 10 years, but I fucking love this movie so much. But Dad hadn't seen uh, Tarantino since Jackie Brown. And we were talking about it afterwards. Um, and I was interested in him seeing it because he grew up in that, in, in that era. Um, and I was talking to him about it going, it's fascinating watching this movie now because it feels like we're going through this thing now in, you know, in almost 2020, there's a, there's a change happening, you know, like the, the theatrical experience is changing. The, the storytelling is changing. It's, it's like, you know, film versus digital and everything that represents. And it's like, and it's a really amazing watching someone make a love letter to a time when that was happening in its own right. And he, my dad said to me, he was like, oh, wow, I didn't get any, any of that. Like, as I was saying, well, about <laughs> and blah, 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 and this, and he was like, and I said, what did you, what did you see? Like, what was it that, and he was like, I just made me miss cowboy TV shows and cowboy. <laughs> and I was like, that's what's so fucking great about that film is it's like, he it was accessing him. his childhood. It was accessing his nostalgia yeah. for what probably made him want to be an actor, which is, you know, those Steve McQueen cowboy shows that were like reliably 25,000 episodes long and played every yeah. day for 10 years. And he would have and, seen and every single damn one. You know, this is the sad thing about Australia. You know, I've, I've brought up Brain Dead um, before. I saw Brain Dead at the Valhalla Cinema when I was. I don't even think I was 12. I was 11 years old. Um, I was obsessed with Peter Jackson at the time. My father took me to a midnight screening of Brain Dead, talked to people at the box office to let me in to see an R-rated movie okay. at 12 o'clock. Um, and that was probably the most seminal experience I ever had, being in a movie theater, watching that with a full audience, laughing hysterically at what was going on, but also going, this is special because my dad got me in here and that yes. in some way then led to, I'm sure, Little Monsters kind of happening now, <laughs> you know, like 20 years later. But it's like we don't have in Australia the venues like that, that yes. you can go and you can watch old movies. I think, I think we're going to catch up to in the United States and, you know, being over there and, and touring is there is like certain towns and there's sort of cults of like, you know, these – I guess they're called like repertory theaters that just go yep. and, you know, they go and exhibit these movies with 35 mil prints and they utilize, you know, or 70 mil prints or they do a digital print, but the exhibition is exquisite. And, and, and I think yep. that that's, that's coming. I think that, you know, I think that there's just a, still a bit of a tussle in Australian exhibition, but then there's a space for, you know, there's a space one day for a little monsters brain dead double feature. And I think that that's the, probably the good that, that's what we can throw out into the universe. That there's space for a Little Monsters and Brain Dead double feature at some point. Well, well, I just, I just, I literally just heard today, earlier today, that in Wales there's a Little Monsters Wake and Fright double feature, and to me that's <laughs> like, a, that's I that that was a that has been a moment in in my entire life. That's I'm an inspired, going, inspired even double though feature. I can't, I can't be there to see it, and, <laughs> and it's just like that's Wake and Fright absolutely one of my favorite movies but the fact that someone thought that that would make a good double bill is like yeah i just i just i, I really would love um and look as much as 
you know, there's a lot you can complain about with streaming. There's also a lot that it's just, it's, it's allowing people, you know, and allowing filmmakers like David Nishov as well too, to make, you know, movies that uh, aren't Marvel movies and, and that, you know, we didn't think there was a space for anymore. So, Well, there is a space for Little Monsters on Hulu. There is a space for Little Monsters on Australian screens if for a very limited time, but it will be around and out I hope very soon. It's going to be uh, available on sort of uh, video on demand uh, 60 days after. 60 days. Uh, yeah. So, and that's also one of the reasons why a lot of exhibitors aren't taking us because of the whole Netflix kind of debate at the moment as well. So, right. So, right. I think, um, yeah, I think some, sometime in December it's going to be popping up on video on demand, which is great. So people will be finally be able to, you know, at well, least see it. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. If you don't get to see it at cinemas, but you definitely should. It's an absolute scream. Abe Forsyth, mate, this has been a ripper of a combo. Thank you so much for being on the take. Congratulations on Monsters and uh, our, our Little Monsters, and I can't wait um, to, to keep following along and seeing what's up next. Brilliant. Thank you, mate. Anytime. Look, it wouldn't really be uh, right in the upcoming run episodes of The Take to not have the co-producer of the show and one of my favourite people back on the show to talk about a thing that he is one of the world's greatest experts in, and that is Australian film. Ladies and gentlemen, please join me in welcoming back my favourite cantankerous oppositional critic to me in every way, but I love him so dearly. Australia's Armin White, it's Luke Buckmaster. Lukey, welcome back to The Take, my friend. Uh, that's a hell of an introduction, Blake. I don't know where to begin and how to <laughs> uh, how to start dismantling that description. Uh, not that I'm being oppositional in any, in any way, shape or form. <laughs> Uh, but that is great. When, when you said, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome, Does are you going to edit in the sound of applause, whooping, cheering, canned laughter, anything like that? Luke, for people listening, there will be canned laughter, there will be applause, um, or there'll be booze. Whatever, you, whatever you'd like to be edited in, we'll make sure that it's in for the show. Why would I want to be booed? <laughs> like, why would I ask to be booed? Look, canned laughter, please. Some, canned laughter it is. Some people like to be, uh, some people like to be the heel, as they say, the old like WWE uh, uh, evil, evil doers, etc. But look, uh, look, people who've been listening to it, the wrong people on this show. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt. People, people would have just heard. Look, an, a really uh, a lengthy and an incredible discussion with an Australian filmmaker by the name of Abe Forsyth, um, and and anyone who would know that lengthy conversation is getting to this part of the episode. Luke and I uh, really, uh, really wanted to unpack with Luke as as an expert of Australian films and particularly Australian genre films, as the author of um, the making of the epic making of Mad Max books that I always get the name wrong of. I think I've renamed it like fifty times on different podcasts. But Miller and Max, um, uh, and and I thought I would talk to Luke a little bit about this movie having all the ingredients seemingly uh, for a, a movie that should have a big um, box office presence in Australia and a big presence just in general on our screens around the country. Right now, but is kind of despite international acclaim, despite huge responses from all overseas, despite an eighty percent fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes, all those things you have, international cast, um, uh, critically lauded, we're not seeing that. So, Bucky, can you help me and help maybe some folks listening sort of understand, you know, uh, some of the history of the success of Australian genre films and maybe why we're seeing some of this pivot in the industry? Um, I don't, I wouldn't necessarily say it was a pivot, um, but, but there are some things going on, uh, absolutely. So I guess, first of all, I would make the point that this is not a new conversation. It's actually a conversation that's been going on in terms of Australian genre films 
since the resurgence of the Australian cinema in the 1970s and the exploitation movement in particular. Yes. Um, and you've got guys like um, Abe who've put in um, a lot of work making something. They're probably proud of it. Um, they really want to get the, the word, word out there. And Abe is one of those guys who understands that you don't just finish a film, um, send it off to the marketing department and go, here you go, good luck with that, great. <laughs> Abe is one of those uh, savvier filmmakers, more more modern um, and often in a marketing point of view or from a marketing point of view, harder working uh, filmmakers who understand that you don't just send your stuff off to the marketing department and go, hey, presto, make this a hit. Uh, so it is very frustrating for filmmakers when um, their films don't receive much of an audience. Partly, though, uh, for Little Monsters, uh, I would suspect it's it's partly to do with the number of screens yes. uh, that the film has been released on. Um, and also, there's all sorts of interesting um, sides to this discussion, like business um, properties and so forth, in terms of um, when when things are screened and, and their financial viabilities. Like, to give you one example, um, Mark Hartley, the, the documentarian uh, and filmmaker... Not quite Hollywood. The legend yeah, behind Not exactly. Quite Hollywood. Exactly. The legend that made Not Quite Hollywood. He remade um, in, in 2012-2013 uh, the, the classic exploitation film Patrick. Yes. Uh, and that was a sort of um, an audience-facing film, if you like, in that it was a genre film. It was ticking the boxes, much like um, Abe's film. I think it's in terms of popular appeal, or not just popular appeal, because this isn't gonna. These aren't the films that are going to, you know, that your mum is going to see necessarily or your grandma, but nailing a a target niche and, and an audience. And a friend of mine who's in the cinema distribution business, uh, he called me up and talked to me beforehand, and he said, "Mate, um, Patrick." It's dead in the water. This film hasn't come out yet, and I can guarantee you it's not going to be a success, even though this is the sort of film uh, that a lot of people are saying we should be we should be releasing, making more of. Now, why wasn't that film a success? It was on, I think, from memory, somewhere along the lines of maybe eight or so screens, give or take, across the country, and the times, the session times, were essentially two or three session times during the day, so your 1.30 p.m., your 10 a.m., this is for a horror movie. Um, and your other blockbusters uh, like your your MCU films or your Disney or, or what have you, uh, they're the ones that are really suffocating the market here. It's, it's so weird, right? Because, you know, you and I love the cinema experience and there are so many people that do. And I just, there's nothing, there is nothing better than a late night horror movie. And you think that something like this, surely you're not necessarily tangling with uh, a big Marvel movie or a big Disney film. Like surely they can occupy, you know, even if it's over a number of weeks, late night sessions that just riddle through because that's when, you know, I remember going to the cinema to see horror movies. It's a late night session. You go with your friends late. You want to see it with a rowdy audience. Even festivals in Sydney and uh, Melbourne do this. They put on the late night genre movies. They all play late and they attract a crowd consistently. I just can't understand, uh, you know, I can't understand what, what you know, what a suffocate, why the Lion King <laughs> remake might need to be on at 9.30 when Little Monsters could be. It just it just seems like a baffling thing that is always going to set our filmmakers up for, for, you know, for failure. Yeah, well, this is the slow, intractable descent into um, 
the ruins of a once great popular medium we are talking about here. As soon as you put little monsters at 9pm every night and you take away Lion King, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Average Public are kind of going to come in and, they're, and they don't have that instant uh, brand triggering. It's almost subliminal. It's like Lion King. Oh, Lion King, Lion King. Oh, yes, I remember Lion King. Aladdin, Aladdin. Yeah, okay. Yeah, something comforting about the ring of familiarity. Um, Little Monsters is more about, as you as you as you said, uh, or alluded to, it's more about um, having a wild time, having a new experience, and that's why you you get uh, Halloween screenings for these type of films. Yes, the midnight. The, the reality is the midnight movie ceased becoming a midnight movie <laughs> decade ago. It's more your nine pm movie. I mean, how late do the session times get in the cinema? You have to. I Pay, pay 10 staff members or three staff <laughs> members, however, that you're not going to go past um, 9 p.m. as your latest time in, in almost every circumstance. Uh, yeah, so for, for something like Little Monsters, it's very frustrating for the director, I'm sure. There's also a couple of interesting kinds of frustration too because on the one hand, at this point in time, a lot of filmmakers like of, of these sorts of films, which aren't the massive, massive blockbusters, they're like, oh, I really wish... It's on Netflix now, so everybody could see it. Yes. But when they go straight to Netflix, they go, oh, I really wish it was in the cinema, you know, with a big screen and an audience, and it wasn't part of this algorithm that just chewed it up and spat it out before it had found anyone. It's this ongoing fragmentation of content, and it's getting worse and worse than ever before in some respects, but then again, there's more content and hopefully some, some more jewels in the rough. Yeah, look, I think that that's going to be a perennial conversation. We're going to keep talking about it, and I think really important for the take as we keep going on to keep talking about it or keep talking about it in Australian context. And I think that you know Abe has been very fortunate. Little Monsters is a internationally you know resounding success. Has done some cinemas uh, time in the states. Has gone to Hulu, like you know in festival circuits. Has gone to Hulu um, in the states, which is huge. And will have a small theatrical run in the UK, and then you know be jumping onto d- different you know um, video on streaming, video on demand solutions for us for the rest of the year so as far as success for him it means making more movies which is awesome and filmmakers like Abe we want to just see them make movies but also you know that I feel like with maybe maybe it's that personal it's an Australian film it's a success why can't it have a little bit of airplay um selfishness that I have for Australian movies that I'm like why can't it have it but I think we're going to keep talking about it and uh, I do love I do love your description. I, I can't. I'm never going to be able to remember the words because it was so such a you uh, a a euphemism, a, such a Luke Buckmasterism of like we are slowly dredging towards the death of this medium, and this is uh, this is just a symptom of it. But look, Mr. Bucky, as oh, always, I I said, a- apocalyptic ruins. <laughs> not not, not <laughs> see the death. see not apocalyptic the apocalyptic ruins. Look, and you know, of course the author of Miller, uh, Miller and Max is going to call it an apocalyptic ruin. So, Mr. Buckmaster, thank you so much for coming back onto The Take. Appreciate your insight, and uh, and we'll catch you on another episode of The Take soon. No worries. Thanks, thanks, Blakey. Thank you so much to Mr. Luke Buckmaster for being on the show, at Luke Buckmaster on Twitter. Thank you again. Huge thank you to Mr. Abe Forsyth, at Abe Forsyth on Twitter. Um, follow Abe there to find out all things you need to know about the show. And that's been this week of The Take. Guys, thanks so much for listening. Subscribe, rate, and review. Go to flicks.com.au. That's it. Cut it. Print it. This podcast is brought to you by flicks.com.au, Australia's number one movie and cinema site.